Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have tuned in. If you're like me, you can't get enough of the coverage of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan after nearly 20 years of war in that country. And if you're like me, you can't help but see echoes of former failures, foreign policy failures here in the U.S., things uh, that we haven't seen maybe in a long time, but uh, that we have seen pretty consistently. Uh, We are keeping an eye on that here at WDET and on Detroit Today. And later in the week, we will begin talking in earnest about what's happening there and what went wrong over the last 18 or so years that we have been involved in this in this conflict uh, why has why has it turned out the way that uh, that it has so far which uh, of course is devastating not just for the american ego but for the afghan people think of what's happening in that country right now on the heels of what's happened there for about the last 20 years. So, of course, stay tuned to uh, the show later this week. We will we will absolutely get to that subject. But today, we want to talk about voting rights and voting suppression. And let's start with this premise. This country was not truly a democracy until 1965, just five years, in fact, before I was born. And that's the year that marks the passage of the Voting Rights Act. Up until that point, people of color, and particularly black people, were widely kept from voting through things like literacy tests and poll taxes. Jim Crow was the law of the land for nearly 100 years in America. And what that meant, especially in southern states, was that access to the polls was controlled by racist policy that disallowed African Americans from voting. I tell this story a lot these days when we're talking about voting rights and voting suppression uh, about my own father, who was born in Mississippi in 1933, uh, goes off to fight in the Korean War for his country in the 1950s, and comes home to a Mississippi where he is still not allowed to vote at least for another 12 years when he gets home. Think about that. You go and serve your country overseas in a war and come home and are told that you can't participate in the democracy that you were sent to defend. Now, we're talking about this because just two months ago, leading scholars of democracy and voting laws sent out a warning that some states, including our state here in Michigan, could be returning to the reality where black people are routinely blocked from accessing the ballot. The question, of course, is who's behind the effort? And the answer, unequivocally, is the Republican Party. Now, that does not mean that all Republicans are trying to suppress African-American votes. It does mean that the efforts to restrict ballot access are coming from Republicans a certain wing of the Republican Party. To read from a statement of concerned citizens signed by dozens of democracy scholars, quote, they are seeking to restrict access to the ballot, the most basic principle underlying the right of all adult American citizens to participate in our democracy. Republican lawmakers have openly talked about ensuring the, quote, purity 
and quality of the vote, echoing arguments that were widely used across the Jim Crow South as reasons for restricting the black vote. Now, I want to be really careful not to be engaging in alarmist fear-mongering or overstating what's happening. But this is really serious stuff. These are fundamental rights that we have really never gotten quite right in our nation. And it took us more than 100 years after the Civil War to get to the point where the laws fell on the side of access to the ballot no matter your skin color. So to say that just 55 years later, we're still having this argument and seeing people try to push it back the other way is really alarming. With laws in 18 states that restrict access to the vote and more to follow, I think it's safe to say there is a concerted effort to suppress the vote of certain Americans in this country. And that is a really, really dangerous thing. That is where we begin the conversation today. And here to talk about the voter suppression bills that are popping up in state legislatures all over the country, including here in Michigan, are two reporters who've been following this topic really extensively. Ari Berman is a reporter for Mother Jones magazine, where he covers voting rights. Ari, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And uh, Craig Monger is a reporter for the Detroit News. He covers Michigan politics. Craig, as always, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing? Great. So uh, let's start here, Ari. Uh, run us through why this is happening and what the motive for the GOP to be passing these laws is. Uh, I think everybody would be wise to look right back to November of 2020 and what happened at the ballot box as at least one of the most recent triggers for this response. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It's an effort to try to succeed where they failed in 2020, that because Republicans were unable to win the presidency in some other races and then failed to throw out votes and steal the election, they are now instituting all of these new restrictions on voting to try to achieve that goal through other means. And it's not a new strategy. We've seen these efforts for a long time. Uh, I began covering voting rights a decade ago, and we saw things like voter ID laws and cuts to early voting and, and things of those natures emerge in states. Uh, but it's a dramatic acceleration of an existing strategy because it follows Trump's big lie. So uh, Trump and other Republicans uh, convinced many Republican voters that the election was stolen and something had to be done, and that something has taken the form of all of these bills introduced and passed in the states to make it harder to vote in a lot of different ways. And we had the highest turnout in 120 years in 2020. And a lot of people looked at that and thought that was a good thing, but not everyone reached that same conclusion. And some people believe that we shouldn't have had such high turnout. Mm. And instead, we need to make it more difficult and erect more hurdles uh, to voting in a number of different ways. Yeah. So, so I also want to go back 10 years uh, to, well, almost 10 years to 2012, which was the year that America reelected Barack Obama to the presidency. And Mitt Romney, who was the Republican nominee for president that year, 
came out and said that one of the big problems that that he had in winning the White House and one of the big problems that he thought the Republican Party was having was not being able to convince all of these new voters who were showing up at the polls to vote for their party. And he said, look, we've got to expand beyond the base of uh, of white people who who make up the, the 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 majority of this party, and we've got to start talking with other populations about the issues that matter to them. Uh, we've got to start showing them that the Republican Party is here uh, to 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 champion their issues. And there were a lot of other Republicans who said the same thing. Who said, "Look, we're not going to survive as a party." If we can't expand that base, four years later, uh, Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination for president on a nationalist and some would say a white supremacist uh, uh, platform. Uh, and, and it goes in the opposite direction at 100 miles an hour. I think that's an important point to remember is that this is a party that just within the last decade, has been thinking really differently about this problem than it is today. And today, as I said, you see laws in 18 states where they're trying to restrict ballot access rather than making the case to African-Americans or uh, Latinos that the Republican Party is something they they, they might want to support. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And remember, Republicans did this much-touted autopsy in 2013, where they said we need to reach out to new demographic groups, we need to reach out to communities of color, we need to moderate our positions. And then that autopsy turned into Donald Trump, which was a strategy entirely predicated on white grievance and white backlash politics. And I think what we saw in 2020 was such an alarming and specific effort to throw out votes specifically from communities of color. So when they wanted to throw out votes in Michigan, they targeted Detroit. When they wanted to throw out votes in Pennsylvania, they targeted Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. When they wanted to throw out votes in Arizona, they targeted Phoenix. And so Trump made it so explicit what they were trying to do. And then the reaction after that was to try to target these communities, to try to target the voting methods that were used by communities of color. Because in places like Georgia, in places like Arizona, Republicans were the ones that pioneered the use, for example, of vote by mail. Mm -hmm. Um, But they only decided to target vote by mail once new demographic groups started using those methods. They only started eliminating things like mail ballot drop boxes when black voters in places like Detroit or or Philadelphia or Atlanta started using them. So I think this is a long time strategy, but I think what Trump and the Republicans have done now is made it so much more explicit and made it so clear that the groups that they are targeting are black voters in cities like Detroit, are Latino voters in cities like Phoenix. And I I think that the laws that have been passed now clearly try to target the turnout of those groups that was uh, high and impactful in 2020. Mm. Uh, So Craig Mogger, I want to turn to you now and have you roll into the conversation. What's happening here in Michigan? Why is Michigan a target for some of these voter suppression bills? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you all were discussing kind of the long-term history that's at play here. 
there's also a short-term history that's at play. There was an effort because of the COVID-19 pandemic to expand access to mail-in voting. In Michigan, that looked like sending applications for mail-in ballots to registered voters in the state. Donald Trump almost immediately came out against that, that idea, said that it was going to be sub subjected to fraud. It was going to lead to this mass fraud and you can't trust mail-in ballots. And, and as was stated earlier, Republican voters, a, a large group of them, had voted by mail for a long time leading up to 2020. Trump sowed this doubt about mail-in ballots. And a lot of Republicans, when you talk to them, not always on the record, but they will say this doubt that he sowed about absentee voting may have cost him a state like Michigan, where he only lost by three percentage points. But in addition to sowing doubt about mail-in voting, it also changed how the ballots were counted right after on election night and then the days following there was this rush of absentee ballots it took longer to count them in a city like detroit where you had many more people than you know rural areas voting by by mail you know the the results were delayed that created another opportunity to sow doubt what's going on in detroit why is it taking so long to count these ballots why were ballots coming in later? Well, it was because we had record amounts of mail-in voting and it takes longer to process those ballots. All of this came together, kind of mingled together and led to this Republican frustration about how the election in 2020 was administered. And in Michigan, we got 39 bills from the GOP caucus in the state Senate that changes a wide array of elements of our election law. Those bills were introduced on March 24th. None of them have made it all the way through the legislature. Right now we have a GOP controlled legislature and this debate is continuing to go on and on and on. And it's gonna be something that's gonna be at the center of our politics in Michigan, a battleground state for at least a year to come. Hmm. I'm talking with Ari Berman, who's a reporter for Mother Jones magazine, he covers voting rights. Uh, also talking with Craig Mogger, who covers state government and politics for the Detroit News. We're talking about voter access and voter suppression, two sides of the same debate uh, about who ought to be eligible to vote in elections in this country, how they ought to be eligible to vote. Uh, for years and years, uh, more than a century, in fact, uh, that was... That was uh, that was a, a, a real divide in this country, uh, the idea that African-Americans, even though the 15th Amendment to the Constitution uh, gave them the right to vote, regardless of color or race, uh, it just didn't happen uh, because of Jim Crow across the South. And in the North, in many cases, uh, there was also incredible voter suppression of uh, African-Americans. 1965, that changed with the Voting Rights Act. But here we are in 2021, still talking about who ought to be eligible to vote. Uh, a new push from some factions of the Republican Party are now trying to move things backward, make it more difficult for everyone to be able to participate in our democracy. We'd love to hear from you uh, during the conversation about uh, these bills that we are seeing here in the state of Michigan, the bills that are cropping up in legislatures all over the country to change the eligibility or the ease with which people can cast their ballots. Uh, what do you think of those efforts? Uh, what, do you, what do you make of the fact that it is one party that is focused on restricting access to the ballot. And what do you think that means 
for the future of that party, which just 10 years ago said that it probably couldn't survive unless it could widen its base of support beyond white voters. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Craig, before we, uh, before we get to, to listeners, uh, I want to talk to you just a little about the tension between our governor – who's a Democrat, and the state legislature, which is controlled in both chambers uh, by Republicans. If these bills were to pass, I don't think there's any question that Governor Whitmer would just veto them. But Mike Shirky, who is the Senate Majority Leader, says he would try to overturn that veto. How, how, would, he, how would he do that, and how likely would he be able to, be to, uh, to make the governor's veto irrelevant? Yeah, so for months now, the Republican Party in the state has been openly discussing the idea that they're going to try to run some type of citizen initiative where if they gathered 340,000 signatures, which seems like a lot, but they would they would likely be able to do this if they gathered those type of that number of petition signatures, they could put some type of measure to enact a portion of these voting uh, law proposals that they've put out there, they could enact them through the legislature without Governor Whitmer having the chance to veto them. However, you know, the timetable on this, when this was first brought up, it looked very feasible for the Republicans to do this because they were talking about it early this year. They haven't launched an initiative so far. So the time is, it, there's gonna be a time crunch here. It, it, it's likely that they won't be able to get something before this current legislature. They, they might not be able to get it before lawmakers until the next class of legislators take office. A lot is at play here. They have not launched this petition drive yet, which is a really fascinating question as to why they haven't launched it at this point. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Ari Berman and Craig Mauger, and we will get... To you, the listeners, your phone calls, Ed in Detroit, Rodney on the east side, we'll hear from you. We'll also get some of the social media comments that we've gotten into the conversation. And if you want to join us, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what you think of this argument about the difference between voter access and voter suppression. Which side should we be airing on in America in 2021? Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, Thanks for tuning in. My guests are Ari Berman, a reporter who covers voting rights for Mother Jones Magazine. Also with us is Craig Mogger, who is a state government and politics reporter for the Detroit News. We're talking about 
the tension between voter access and voter suppression, both nationally and here in Michigan, where we are seeing lots of bills offered by Republican legislators uh, in order to restrict access to the ballot and change the eligibility for people who can vote. The targets of those bills often, usually, are people of color, African Americans, Latinos, other people who live in urban uh, centers where uh, voters have been turning out in stronger numbers and changing outcomes uh, in key states. Think back to uh, November of 2020 uh, in the presidential election and think what happened in the state of Georgia for the special elections for Senate in that state. Uh, The incredible elections of African-American candidates uh, in a state where, of course, African-Americans were once slaves. Uh, We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of this tension between voter access and voter suppression? What do you think of the Republican Party's role in that tension? Uh, What is the future of that party if its strategy is to make sure that some people don't vote in order for them to win elections? As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Big Neo on Twitter says, The argument about voter suppression will not be resolved due to the fact that the right has a different definition for what suppression is versus the left. The two sides are not speaking the same language, and that's a huge part of the problem. John on Twitter says, uh, please define what you consider restricting voting access. That's a blanket statement made by corporate media and the left and typically has no meat behind it. Uh, I want to stop there, Ari Berman, and have you address that. What, what do you mean when you say uh, restricting voting access? What are the specific things that are being done that would make it harder for people of color to vote? Well, I would say restricting voting access means making it more difficult for people to vote uh, and making it more difficult to vote for no good reason uh, in an election that was judged by the Trump administration to be the most secure and transparent election in American history. So it's making it more difficult to vote in a number of different ways. There's not just one way it's being done now. But for example, with regards to mail-in voting, um, preventing uh, election officials from sending out absentee ballot request forms to make mail-in voting as convenient as possible, uh, restricting or limiting the number of mail ballot drop boxes uh, so that uh, it's convenient to drop your ballot off. Uh, making it so that it's easier to throw out ballots, adding new ID requirements or uh, adding tougher signature verification requirements going to lead to more ballots um, being thrown out. Those are the kind of things that are being done with mail-in voting, but that's not just mail-in voting that's happening. Uh, Other states like in Iowa are cutting back on early voting, or some states are closing the number of polling places, or in Texas, for example, they're trying to restrict uh, innovative voting methods that were quite popular in 2020, things like drive-through voting, 
which were done uh, during the pandemic as an alternative to in-person voting in states that were not able uh, to expand mail-in voting. And then uh, there are provisions that basically increase partisan control over the election process, which could make it easier uh, for votes to be thrown out. It could make it easier uh, to punish election officials for routine things like sending out uh, mail-in ballot requests. So there's a lot of different ways in which voting access is being restricted. But what, what I would say is basically taking things that worked very well in 2020. Remember, 80% of Americans voted in ways that were not on in person on election day, meaning they voted by mail, they voted early, which is an astonishing number. I think that was one reason why we didn't see so many problems that we'd seen in years past, like long lines at the polls, for example. Uh, And then taking those methods and instead of uh, establishing them, institutionalizing them, even expanding them, we've now decided in many states to restrict access to them instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Craig, uh, here in Michigan, are we hearing Republicans say the same things that they're saying nationally about the need to, quote, protect the vote, the need to to meet, be sure about uh, the, quote, purity of of the vote? Uh, or, or are they, they coming up with other kinds of supports for the legislation that they're introducing? Yeah, I think I think the catchphrase here in Michigan has been that this is about protecting the integrity of elections. That's what has been on a lot of the press releases that has been kind of a major talking point. And and to this issue of, you know, are these restrictions on voting some elements of this package? I mean, it's hard to to argue that they're not restrictions on voting. Ari mentioned uh, limiting the ability of the secretary of state to send out mail in applications. Another example is. highly debated. And and it would say that if you don't have photo ID with you at the polls, you have to vote by provisional ballot. Right now you get a vote normally, get a normal ballot and you sign an affidavit saying I don't have an ID with me. When you cast this provisional ballot, you have to return six days after the election to come back and prove your identity. That's a new restriction. Another proposal in the Senate package is one that says This has not moved yet, but in the package was a bill that said you cannot vote by Dropbox after 5 p.m. the day before the election. That's a restriction on the type of voting that can occur in this state. Uh, There's another bill in there, one more, that says clerks and the Secretary of State cannot pay for prepaid postage on absentee bat for absentee ballots this is something that's happened in detroit for a long time happens in a lot of large cities so you've gone from funding the postage for people to send back their absentee ballot to saying no one can pay for that except the voter who's who's got to find the money to pay for the postage so these are just examples of new restrictions on voting i think that's a fair term for a lot of these bills in the package mm. uh, again 313 313- 577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Melissa here in Metro Detroit. Uh, Melissa, what's on your mind? Uh, hi, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello to your guests. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to see us frame voting as freedom of, freedom of speech. Mm. So voting is like the power of the pen and suppressing anyone's ability to vote or suppressing um, uh, or, or suppressing their vote just by making laws to 
be able to throw out someone's vote more easily is really against mine and all my fellow citizens' right to freedom of speech. Hmm. Uh, Melissa, that's a really interesting framing for uh, this topic and this this conversation. I'm really glad you called and and offered that. Uh, Ari, so this summer on, on the show, we have been uh, involved in a, a, a book club that we do each summer. And, and this year, the, the reading is the Constitution instead of a novel or a, a piece of nonfiction. And we've been talking about the different ways that uh, the Constitution has influence over inequality uh, in, in our country. And voting rights was one of the things that we talked about. And what came up in that discussion that really connects to what Melissa's talking about is the fact that, of course, uh, the right to vote itself is not really protected in the U.S. Constitution. There are restrictions on the ways in which government can infringe on the right to vote, but there is no real explicit right to vote the way that, uh, for instance, Melissa points out, there's an explicit right to, to freedom of speech and expression. And, you know, I do wonder whether all of the efforts now to restrict voting push us in a different direction uh, or push or, or, you know, make more of a push from the opposite direction to, to establish more of a right to vote in the U.S. Constitution, maybe amend the Constitution to, to make it clear that, uh, that everybody does have the right to vote and that it is as exalted as the right to free speech or freedom of religion or, uh, or the right to, 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 to bear arms. Uh, I, I wonder what you make of that idea. That, that's a really good point. We don't have a blanket right to vote in this country because our founding fathers didn't want everybody to vote. That voting rights were, in, in many cases, the province of only white male property owners in most states. And so uh, the vast majority of Americans, even at the time of our founding, were prevented from voting. So we never had the expansive language for voting that we do for the First Amendment that says that everyone should have the right to vote except for X, Y, and Z. We have things that evolved much later that you can't do. You can't deny the right to vote uh, based on race or based on sex or based on age, and those are all amendments that were added to the Constitution. But a lot of people have argued that we should add a new amendment to the Constitution uh, that would guarantee the right to vote, and that would essentially likely nullify many, if not all, of the new restrictions on voting, because the presumption would be in favor of protecting voting rights, not restricting voting rights. And what's happening right now, paradoxically, is that as voting gets more difficult, the laws that protect voting rights are becoming weaker. So the Supreme Court this summer further weakened uh, the Voting Rights Act. The Supreme Court has already said they are not going to review a partisan gerrymandering, things like that. So you really can't look to the courts anymore to protect the voting rights in any kind of major way, at least not the federal courts. And that means that even the protections that we have are not sufficient. And those laws only target certain things. They target things that you can't do, but they don't say affirmatively that everyone should have the right to vote. And that should be the presumption that just like you have freedom of speech and you're born with freedom of speech, you have the right to vote. And that's something that you're born with as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Melissa, 
Really appreciate the call uh, and the really provocative point that you made there. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, what's on your mind? Good uh, good day to you, Stephen, and your guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the Hayes-Tilden uh, debacle, um, as white Southerners regain control of the South and the governments in the South, they refer to that period as the redemption. Mm-hmm. During the 60s, Many uh, members of the Civil Rights Movement referred to the movement as the Second Reconstruction. I think we are now in a second period of redemption. I think it is a rearguard action, and it will fail. But this effort to deprive people of color, including First Nations people, if you look at what's happening in uh, the Dakotas and Montana, they're making it very difficult for First Nations people who live on reservations mm-hmm. to vote. Uh, this, this this process, as you pointed out in earlier uh, conversations, Stephen, is not new. Uh, and and I think the, the person who called in before me who made the point that it should become an affirmative right in the Constitution has hit it right on the head. And that should be our, our, our part of our goal mm-hmm. over the next few years is to get that amendment into the Constitution. Yeah. Understanding it's going to be difficult, and it might not work. Yeah. But the fight, the struggle endures. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Ed, I, I really appreciate you raising uh, uh, that point. And uh, Ari Berman, um, what Ed's talking about reminds me of uh, a vestige, really, of that time, the redemption period um, uh, in, in American history, the filibuster is one of the things that that grows out of uh, that era that that is designed to uh, to thwart uh, civil rights legislation and legislation that would uh, make things more equal for uh, for black Americans. It's still with us. And right now it stands in the way, in fact, of. Uh, two pieces of legislation in the U.S. Congress that would strengthen voting rights. So the threads here, uh, they run, f- you know, f- throughout our history. And uh, it's, it doesn't take a whole lot to connect one era to another. No, and there's a lot of similarities between the end of Reconstruction and the beginning of Jim Crow uh, and what's happening today. Because uh, back then in the 1860s, 1870s, you saw new voters get the right to vote. You saw higher turnout. You saw uh, efforts to try to throw out those votes through violence and fraud. And then when that was too difficult to pull off, they changed the laws to try to accomplish the same aims that states like Mississippi, for example, first they used violence and fraud to try to rig elections, and then they just changed their constitution to wholesale disenfranchise black voters. And there were efforts in Congress in the 1890s to pass a federal voting rights bill, and that would have stopped these kind of efforts in Mississippi and other southern states. And it was filibustered by Southern Democrats in the Senate and also joined by a few Republican senators. Remember, the the parties were reversed back then on civil rights. So Republicans were the pro-civil rights party. Democrats were the party of white supremacy. And you had actually some Republicans join the Democrats in supporting a filibuster of uh, civil rights and voting rights bills. And there's a lot of similarities to today where 
there were efforts of violence and fraud. There was an insurrection. There was attempts to try to throw out votes, followed by all of these new restrictions on voting. There are federal voting rights bills that would stop many of these efforts, and they are being blocked by the filibuster. And it's a filibuster that is being maintained uh, by Republicans, but also supported by Democrats like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. So there's, there's incredible parallels between uh, what happened back then and what's happening now and the consequences of the road not taken, mm. meaning the federal government could have stepped in at the end of Reconstruction to protect voting rights. They chose not to. And the same kind of thing could be happening again today. Mm. Uh, Craig Mogger, before we have to break, I'd love for you to talk about whether there is an opposite push here in Michigan that could expand protections for the kinds of things that we've seen develop along the lines of voting rights. Is it possible that Democrats could uh, could get the opposite done of what Republicans are attempting in the legislature? Yeah, I think Democrats in the state are gearing up for a massive fight. If there's going to be a petition initiative, they're going to fight a tooth and nail. And, and I also just want to note the, the caller who was talking about a constitutional some type of constitutional protection for voting. In Michigan in 2018, voters approved an amendment to our state constitution that guaranteed voters in this state the right to, cap, uh, to cast an absentee ballot. That's there. And uh, in that constitutional amendment, it says that the rights to cast an absentee ballot should be liberally construed in favor of voters' rights. That language is going to be absolutely in the spotlight for the coming years as all of this is at the forefront and there's a battle over whether these reforms the republicans are pushing will stand up to that language Hmm. do putting limitations on absentee ballots does that go against what voters enacted in 2018 Hmm. that's going to be something that listeners should watch closely yeah yeah okay ari berman of mother jones and craig mauger of the Detroit News it was really, really great to have both of you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. We're going to take a break. and we come back, we're going to take a look at a new study about immigrant communities here in Detroit that has a lot of really interesting and some surprising information about our community. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. <laughs> 